today changes my whole entire life. Welcome to Gridability, a podcast about the power of perseverance, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. I'm your podcast host, Adam Clausen, and with me in the studio is, of course, the beautiful and ever-radiant Roe Clausen. Hello. I'm so happy to have you back in the studio, especially <laughs> after I tried to do that uh, intro and botched it last time. No, you didn't. You killed it. Thanks. It, it was a team effort. That's right. That's right. Right. Well, yeah, it was definitely cool. It was very cool being on the scene in Philadelphia. We celebrated um, freedom. And honestly, like, it was still so fresh last week. I don't think, like, I wasn't even totally comfortable with it. I didn't even know how to respond. It's been so long, first time in my adult life, that I am officially free. Has it, like, really sunk in yet? No. Yeah, me neither. No. No, there's, there's still, there's like bits and pieces um, and different realizations that have been coming to me. And, you know, today, what I wanted to talk about was, uh, heard a clip, you know, and a lot of times in the morning when I'm like <laughs> having my, my peaceful time and trying to get my, collect my thoughts and get everything. And occasionally, you know, when I've got it all together, I'll hit Instagram and just Look for some word of inspiration. And this morning I came across, uh, there was a clip, you know, talking about, man, you should be an absolute monster. You should be a monster and then learn how to control it. Like meaning then learn how to be humble, learn how to be kind. Uh, but it goes back to that quote, you know, it's better to be a warrior in the garden, a warrior in the garden than a gardener in the war, meaning like you need to know that you are fully capable, the potential that you have. And we always talk about fitness, cultivating our, our mental toughness, like how we have both used that to give us such a solid foundation and how we're doing the same thing with our son, like instilling the same principles. We get him to do difficult things like when he's struggling with something, if, even if it's something like taking his shirt off or, you know, challenging to do something new at the park physically, like we don't just immediately help him do it. Like we, we let him get frustrated. We let him figure out or we'll show him, hey, put your foot here or try this. But we let him do it himself so that he becomes self-sufficient, that he knows that he's fully capable. And even to the next extent of that, like I am very conscious of us instilling a competitive spirit in him early on so that he knows like he's going to be competing against other people for all of his life and to learn to embrace that and to not shy away and to want to be ruthlessly ambitious like to go hard after things but then be humble in your success when you attain those things you can still be humble you can still be kind but you have to know that you have that ability because that's where true confidence comes from when you walk into the room with truly confident successful people 
like strong people that have done that, that have achieved, that have done incredible things physically, professionally, like they have that, they have that solid foundation. So um, that's really, a, a lot of that's been weighing on my mind. And honestly, in reflecting back on, you know, what's changed since last week, since I regained, truly regained my freedom. And, you know, there was a wake up call with that. I mean, I tried to get TSA pre-check and technically they're not going to let me get it because I'm not five years out of prison yet. So there's still like some disqualifications. That's a disqualification. That's not something hanging over my head. And we talked about, you know, you've been you were under the impression for a long time that if anything happened, I would go back to prison for life. I was, I, I, it kills me that you had that thought hanging over you. Um, but I very, very much felt that there were people who were waiting for an opportunity to knock us off track, to try and get me sent back to prison because in all reality, the way that our system is set up, it is very easy for someone to be violated. And when you already have the conviction, like there's no trial, they don't try you on that violation. They just send you back to prison and they're like, well, we'll figure it out while you sit there in prison. That's a terrible way to live, especially us newly married, having a baby, a child, our son at home, like that was a lot. I didn't realize how much that was hanging over me. And if I being honest, like that was the sigh of relief that I finally breathed when I realized that's not hanging over us anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. Like still my thought, whether or not I'm going to, you know, hop on a motorcycle tomorrow and, and, you know, go down the highway at 150 miles an hour, that's not going to happen because I view my life differently at this point. And we were talking about this on on the way over, you know, thinking about it, what really changed when things changed for me was when you came into my life while I was in prison. Because although I'd made a decision to live differently while I was in there, um, and I had this belief that I was going to get an opportunity. I knew that I was going to serve some time. I knew that I was going to have to do something significant to earn my way out. I also was a realist and like knew I had to avoid any major incidents. Like you get caught up in a riot or something. Eh, it's going to be difficult. Somebody who's got a history of violence. I now have this on my institutional record where it shows a pattern, like, man, you're even getting in trouble in prison doing this. And it's not black and white for people that don't have experience with that lifestyle. You know, you could have gotten caught up, but like literally you would have to fight for your life. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, I can just choose to go left or right. It's, you know, that's on paper. And yes, you made all the best decisions that you could to keep yourself out of those situations. But if there was a race riot or something and you were in the middle of, I mean, you would have, I'm assuming, right? I mean, I know this, but you would have to fight for your life. And if they wrote it up on paper a certain way, it would look terrible, but literally you were fighting for your life. Yeah. And, and for people who've never been 
in the heat of battle, and I'm going to call it that, that's what it is. It turns into a battlefield where it's just a melee, you know what I mean? And you're like, you're in the middle of it, and that's what it is. You're literally fighting for your life. I was very fortunate to avoid those circumstances. And I say by divine design, I am here because, listen, there were some times where Man, if, if you only knew how close it was to, um, like there were people, you know, contemplating starting riots and, you know, kicking things off and it literally came down to the last minute, like right before the night was over and, and like things got resolved, like literally within minutes. Otherwise it would have been, if there would have been, you know, people out trying to literally kill each other in the morning. And somehow I managed to avoid all of those repeatedly. And I made it out of there and made it to a place that was better where I didn't have those same concerns, but I still on a personal level had concerns. I had people, we've, we've had, you know, um, people openly acknowledge like there were staff who were out to get me. Um, I had a conversation just last week where someone acknowledged that there was a particular staff member who was trying to get me sent out of that facility because I was viewed as a threat. I was viewed as a threat because I was strong and confident and willful and, you know, was, was pushing to get things done. And it was that level of influence that I had that was seen as a threat. And that's frightening to hear how close I came to having everything, the future that, you know, the life that we're living now could have been snatched right away. And, you know, I suppressed all of that, even while we were going through it, like we would discuss certain things in the visiting room. And I'd be like, man, here's what's happening. And it was incredibly stressful to live like that for years. But what I said in the car earlier was, if I had to pinpoint it, it was when you came into my life, and you said, you know what? I'm not leaving. I'm in this. I'm in this till the end. And when I finally like accepted that, <laughs> what? Is that what I said? Is that how it went? Well, I mean, Miss Mrs. Two One Three. Um, yeah, I got the photos to prove it. What? what I'm just what, laughing. Like, what? I'm here. I'm not leaving. You were like, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm going to see this thing through. I believe that we're going to get you out of prison one day. And you were like adamant about it. And I'm like, well, okay. Cause you go through the whole cycle. I'm like, how am I going to do this? Like, have you put your life on hold? Like, I'm not comfortable with that. Like, are, are you sure? Like, do you understand this? Once we work through all of those things and you're like, I get it. I'm a grown woman. I, I know what I'm getting myself into. I'm like, Okay, like I won't try and push you away. But when I decided, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to push her away. Like she understands, she, like we're going to be in this relationship together. That was like a great weight of responsibility. It's like, oh, damn. Like it's not just about just me anymore. Like if I go out and get into a fight tomorrow on the compound, like if I'm having a bad day and I say, you know what, man, F it. Like I'm just going to do me. It isn't just about me. Now, you're a part of it, right? Like, this is our future. So it's like, I can't just make a decision 
for us just solely on my own because I'm having a bad day. So that always was weighted into every decision that I made and that changed things. It really did. And having people who had authority over us because, you know, let's just be honest, like they had a position, they had a title and they could have snatched our visits. They could have thrown me in the hole. And there were things that, that people intentionally did because I don't think they liked how we felt, the confidence that we had or that we exuded. Like they'd see us walk in and they'd be like, man, who do, who do they think they are? Like we're in charge here. Like they should cower at us and tell them to sit down, tell them they can't do that. And like we didn't allow that to affect us. Yeah, it's really sad what insecurity will make people do. Amber and I, before we started this episode, were talking about, for a different perspective, but insecure men that try to control women in the dating scene. Mm. And, you know, and they belittle them because of their own insecurities. Well, same, you know, it's, it's a different situation, but it's the same root cause where we had insecure people who were threatened by our confidence and our security in the situation, despite the confines of the situation itself, but that then they put more on top of us. And it was really scary because it'll make them do some crazy messed up things that they can justify in their own head by spinning it in whatever twisted way they want to. True. And it happened time and time and time again. It did. We had that experience, but we came out the other side much stronger as a result. And now none of that is hanging over us. It's crazy, right? I literally can just breathe such a sigh of relief. Feel so much better about that. Um, But it's also knowing, knowing what we're capable of, right? That's why I say like, you know, become a monster. Like we have both pushed to such limits that we know what we're capable of. We know where we're confident. And, you know, I made the comment the other day, like having, being comfortable with that, you know, we finished a workout the other day and we pushed, a, I pushed a little bit harder and I was like, you know what? I've been coasting a little bit recently. I've been coasting. And although most people would look at, you know, the workout that we did and they'd be like, what are you talking? What are you nuts? There was no coasting there. No, it was coasting because for me, the difference is like when we were doing, we're doing squats and we do air squats and we were over a hundred reps, 150 reps, a couple hundred reps consecutively with no breaks. Right. And to now do, you know, chunks of 20, 30, 50, whatever it is. And to know that you're physically capable of doing more, but deciding to, I'm just going to stop for a second. I'll just take even that second break. Let me catch my breath. Like I am, I'm throttling what I'm capable of and not pushing. And it's a reminder to go back like, no, I know what I'm capable of. I have that like, you have to still push those limits. Like that's what keeps you sharp. And I, I felt like I hadn't done that for a minute 
and I really needed to get back to it. So I feel like I've been in the same situation, but I'm curious, where do you think it came from? Why do you think we were, because co- that's not our personalities or how we train. Mm, I, I think it had to do with, and we, and we normally don't do this, like we're very forward looking, right? So it's always about, okay, what's next? And like pushing to, to get there. I think that we were like waiting on this yeah. to happen. Like it was one of those few times where we were like counting down, like it's almost here. Like we've got a lot going on, but like we get to here. And whether that was conscious or unconscious, but I feel like that was part of it. And I feel like it was weighing, like especially in the last few weeks beforehand, like, wow, we're finally getting there. And it was like almost like to get there and to then take the breath and okay, like now what? Now we reassess, now we, you know, regroup and and move forward. And, you know, it's a reminder to stay focused on those things that are, that are most important to us, but to constantly keep pushing and to know, you know, like where we find motivation for those things as well. Like, where does that push come from? If you've never, if you don't know your potential, (coughs) right, then you can never test those, those limits. Like you don't know where the outer limit is. And I would say that's unfortunately for most people, since they don't have that as a reference point, they've never like truly, truly challenged themselves, you know, to push, like to, to, to break through all those limits to see what they're capable of. And that's why they lack genuine confidence. And that's why there's so many insecurities. That's why there's so many insecure people. Um, yeah, I've just, I've watched that play out time and time again, you know, where people may act like they're confident, but then they back off, you know, when, when there's a, a real challenge. And I think the fact that you can say that and that you can see that you were coasting, me too, I've been for the last couple of months, but see that, call yourself out on it and then make the change is what separates gritty people from the people who will just continue to make excuses and continue to coast because then you get trapped there. Mm -hmm. Mm. There's one other thing, like a situation that, you know, keeps coming back to my mind. Uh, and it's one of those, again, it's a reminder of how fragile, like what we had hanging over us. It was when I got into, and I'm not even going to call it a fight in McKean. That's what I was thinking about when you were telling that man, that way it's still like, that was probably, mm, I don't even know like where to rank it. And for me personally, it was one of the most challenging experiences of my life, like ego wise, to be able to deal with that. And I don't know if I've ever fully explained what it was, but uh, was was pre-COVID. It was the middle of the winter. I remember that it was March. Middle of the winter, water pipe broke. Water pipe that supplied the prison. So we had no water coming in, you know, no drinkable water, couldn't flush toilets, like literally water shut off. 
and it took them almost a week not to fix it. It took them almost a week to get Portageons brought in. In the meantime, people are shitting in the showers. Oh God! In bags, throwing it out like it's it's straight third world. Like we, it's just gone animalistic, and it was bad. The worst part was under those times of great duress. You know, the drugs were already rampant, right? Everybody was doing K2. Yeah, people zoned out. Like, it was just bad. So I have this dude that's living with me who's a train wreck. He's a train wreck. And this has gone on for over a year. He was... Oh, yeah. He was out of control for, for at least a year. And I was trying to, to manage that situation and just... And how, didn't they force him in your cell or something like that? They did. I was single. I was single cell. Kev was single cell. And they brought people in and they're like, well, you're getting sellies. They're like, who's going where? And I'm like, I'm easy going, like, oh, whatever. Right? And this dude was just so off the chain. I mean, we know that like when people are getting high, they're not really in tune with reality. And, and there are certain things that they're just not paying attention to. Now, this Well, that and your cell is your escape from all of that. It's supposed to be. Well, that's what I'm saying. And then yeah. you lost that. I did. And ha having been single cell for so long, like that was my sanctuary. And now here's this guy who's coming in and, you know, he's like, man, I'm going to do me. I'm like, well, just respect me. And it was to a point, but it was like, man, if you're up high all night, like it wore on me. It definitely wore on me throughout that period. And there just, there was no other space. This guy didn't want to move. He actually, he had a good living with me because, you know, that was all the benefits for him and none of the downside. Um, and every, every penny he had, he spent on drugs and he hustled in the kitchen. But he also got in a lot of fights. He was a tough kid, knocked a bunch of people out. So he was able to keep getting high and kind of doing what he wanted to do and like treading this fine line. Well, when the water goes out and it just goes like straight third world in there, um, he's getting even more high and now he's not going out of the block and I got to deal with him, you know, 24 seven. And it's like, Oh my God, when I'm not sleeping, I get imbalanced. And I wasn't getting sleep. Like it got to the point where I snapped. I literally snapped. And I vividly recall when I snapped on him, he was up in his bunk. And I came in and I just went in. I'm like, man, you got to get the fuck out of here. Like, and I don't care. Like, I don't care what you got to do. Just get out. And I saw, I watched the conversation in his head without him saying a word. And I watched the decision that was made. And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh man. I literally backed him into a corner. He was up on his bunk in the corner. And like any caged animal, like he felt like, well, I got no choice. I've got nothing to lose. And he's like, man, you're going to have to make me. And I'm like, oh, dude, I'm like, don't do this, man. Don't do this. And when he came down off the bunk, like everything inside of me, I'm a person like 
hit first, hit hard, like don't wait. But I'm like, I can't. Everything I have worked for, I am leading a community of coaches with a code of conduct, with all of these eyes on every single thing I do. And I just put myself in a situation where I jeopardized everything, not only for me, for us, for this community that I've built and everybody on the inside, because me leading that community, they're going to take anything that I do and use it to tear everyone and everything down. And that's the reality. So when he came down, I'm like, man, don't. And I did hesitate. And it was the first time in a situation like that I've ever hesitated. And in my mind, I'm like, man, I just got to wrap this kid up. Right? Like I made the decision. I was like, I cannot, I cannot engage in this fight. If I do, there is no chance. Again, we're at a place where I'm so close I'm so close to, to us finally getting relief. If I do this, it's me. It's me as a repeat violent offender repeating that behavior. Like, there, there's no way anybody's going to give me a shot, like in the courts or anywhere else. That's what's going through my mind. It was all very rational, even when I got hit with the first shot. Because he slid that shot through, and I'm like, damn. And... I knew that I was in trouble because I couldn't wrap him up. And I knew that I knew that I had been hit pretty hard. But when he snuck another one through too, like I felt him like, ooh, that's gonna leave a mark. What I didn't know was how bad it was the first time because it caught my nose and he he chipped a bone on the bridge of my nose that ultimately would black both of my eyes. And although I wasn't physically hurt. Like, that's what would hurt me the most. Like, it was my ego, right? Because as a leader, as someone who is viewed as physically strong, confident, everything that I did to build and lead that community was based on, on that strength. The influence came from that. Because remember, these aren't people. I don't pay them, Right? They have joined up. They have followed me. They have agreed to do things like to put themselves in uncomfortable, challenging positions because I asked them to, right? I asked them to believe in me. And now here I am with everything on the line. And it's like, literally, how do you respond? And in that moment, when I finally got him tied up, like I knew there's blood dripping down onto the floor and I see it on the floor and I'm like, oh man, what are you going to do? And when he finally, I'm like, are you good? Are you done? And I let go and I step back. I look in the mirror and I can see my lip is split. It looked like I had a cleft palate. Ooh. That's how bad it looked. Looked like I had a cleft palate. What I felt in that instant as he's standing right here in front of me, arms down, just like, there was a blank look on his face. Like when I say completely defenseless, like nothing, like he wasn't like ready to go, like done. The rage that went through me was something that I had not felt in many, many years because I had learned to suppress that, right? 
And it wasn't until that moment right then and there that I knew for the first time in my life that I actually had control of it because I didn't react. I did not react to it. I, I had every opportunity and that would have been my ego, my anger and all of it was rage. It was just pure rage that I felt. It's like a physiological response. I could feel it. And man, I can almost feel it now. Um, and I had to let it go. It's hard. I had to let, I thought of you. I thought of our future and that right then and there, I very similarly <sighs> took a breath. I let it out and I'm like, man, we got to clean this shit up right now because there's blood on the floor. You get to cleaning up. I'm like, I got to clean myself up. Like, man, what am I going to do? So I am now in the room with the dude that just did this. Just like, we're not through this, right? Like I now have to figure out how to get past this. He's fine. Like there's no, no serious marks on him, nothing. And I got to figure out how do we move forward? And Kev's right next door. I opened up, banged on his door. He came up, he looked at me. He's like, what the, like the shock on his face. Like he didn't even know how to respond. So we're cleaning up and I'm like, man, what do you got? I literally have to tape my lip back together. I can't believe it didn't scar. I, I mean, it's scarred. You just, you're used to seeing it. Thankfully, it's not that bad. Like having saw it at that time, I'm like, there's no way. And, you know, he's like, man, put pack coffee in it. And there's different things that, you know, guys in prison do to, to stop bleeding and to, I'm like, that's not this kind of wound, man. No, I am not going to be permanently disfigured. So anyways, I get some medical tape. I got it taped closed. I'm like, oh my God, get everything cleaned up. I realize, you know, there's a piece and it's still in my face. There's a piece of bone from the bridge of my nose that chipped off and it blacked both my eyes because it, maybe it broke a blood vessel, whatever happened. So it looked far worse even right after than I felt. I didn't feel like I wasn't physically hurt, right? And, but my ego was definitely damaged. I'm trying to deal with the immediate crisis, get everything cleaned up. And then when I had a moment to like stop, I'm like, you know, I'm questioning myself. Did I make the right decision? Can I just let this go? And I got to live with this guy. I got to live like we're still in the same cell. And now I got to do everything that I can to try and avoid like there's counts that come by, right? I got to make sure that they don't see me, that nobody, you know, how are we going to get through this? How long is it going to take me to heal? And this goes on for a week. I'm able to duck for like a week before, you know, it gets back and, and they come, SIS comes to the cell, special investigative services. And they're like, whoa, man, like what happened? Like we got word. Somebody came, you know, somebody passed us some information and said, you know, something happened over here. And, and now they know me very well because again, there's so much attention on us. And there's staff that are constantly <laughs> reporting on my every movement, bringing attention. And they're like, they have told me, they're like, listen, dude, 
Like we keep getting reports and it's all BS. Like I wish that they would stop bringing it to us, but we have to like, we have to make note of it. We have to engage you on it. I'm like, listen, I get it. I, I can't do anything, you know, to solve that. So there's already a relationship there. So when they come in the cell, they're like, dude, like what happened? I was like, I fell off my bunk. <laughs> and they're like, right. That's what you're going with. Now, everybody knows my backstory, right? <laughs> like when my cellmate went out and allegedly murdered someone on the compound, SIS did not come and even question me. That's a reality. So whatever. Before you, uh, explain for people who don't know what's SIS. Special investigative services, like the internal police who watch the police and watch everything else and monitor the drugs and do all the special stuff, right? So when that happened, they didn't even come and question me. This is my celly. Same cellmate? This is different. No, this is a different, okay. different cellmate years earlier. But this just gives you an idea of this is partially like, I guess, how they view me. Sure. Right? Like the authorities in prison. So they know that I'm just not going to provide any information. Um, that's, you know, part of how I view doing time. And so here they come and I, they're like, dude, what happened? And I'm telling you, like the way that he said it was like, just like genuine, like one-on-one, -on -one, like, dude, what happened? You know, like not even from a professional point. And I'm like, fell off my bunk. And he's like, right. Okay. So that's what we're going with. He's like, well, damn, man. He's like, listen, um, I'm going to have to take you back. I'm going to have to take you to the shoe. Which is? Uh, segregation, solitary special housing, special housing units, solitary. Man, I'm going to have to take you to the shoe. I'm like, all right. I'm like, like on what? He's like under investigation, under investigation. So I'm not being charged. My cellmate's not being charged. And that's ultimately how they carried it. Yeah. And it was very intentional. Clearly there was information that was given back to them about what happened. I find out later that my celly, you know, was talking like to he him. was petrified, but <laughs> no, I know this because yeah. I was told by people and I'll get to my side of the story in a minute, but go ahead. Yeah. And, and you're talking about kind of like how that situation could have been dealt with. Yeah. I made a very conscious decision that I was not going to react to that either in the moment nor after the fact or have people or have other people um, get involved who very much wanted to get involved because they knew that I could not get involved. And I'm like, no, no, we can't have that either. None of that. I don't want anything to come of this. As far as I'm concerned, this is dead. And there was a lot of people who like were not willing to accept that, like very much wanted to go after him. And I'm like, no, this it's got, can't have anything else. Um, the hardest part was having to continue to live with him, the tension that existed in that room for the fear that he very clearly had that 
I was going to do something. There's people telling him like, that dude's going to kill you. He's like, a lifer. He's got nothing to lose. Yeah. Like you should not be in that cell with him. And this is the whole time. Like we're still trying to avoid detection of anything happening. So they come, they take me, they put me in segregation. So I end up in segregation. Um, while I had time to, to heal up and you know, there was, there was still, man, there was some questions. Like I really had to do some soul searching on where I was. And part of that was like me in my ego questioning my manhood. Like, could I let this go? And it was me weighing out our future versus my ego, my current ego. And man, that was tough. And to eventually have to come back, live in that same cell with that same dude, go right back in there and then figure out how do I come back and continue to live with the same strength, the same confidence that allowed me to lead that community and have all of those people behind me like that's a tough place to be and and i think there's plenty of fighters you know what i mean when when you lose those big fights it's probably a very similar process you go through and when you question like man how do i like get back to where i was that same confidence that same you know belief that faith in myself and that was a it was a true test that was probably the hardest part and it was a sacrifice that I knew that I had to make for our future. And if I would have responded any other way, I would not be here today. The fact that you, I mean, back in the day when this happened and you told me, you said you flashed, like your face flashed before my eyes, before I had a reaction is, I mean, it was just such a testament to how committed you were to our relationship, how committed we both were to our future. And one of the biggest compliments I've been paid since you've been home is my sister telling me like, you guys need to do a course or something like that because there's so many cheesy people on social media posting all of this like motivational stuff and law of attraction and manifestation, blah, blah, blah. But that's like, that's what you did. That's your life, right? So people will post this cheesy stuff like, no, you're why not even having any real clue what that means. It just sounds like something they heard or whatever. But like, this is the true real life prison story mm-hmm. from like, the worst of the worst situation knowing your why because you could have and maybe to some people should have responded in a different way but you knew your why and you had to swallow it you had to put the ego aside which is so difficult which i can even imagine it's so much even sorry even more difficult when you're inside of prison and you had to let that go because you knew your why amazing. Mm. And just, I want to clarify, I'm so glad you brought up this story because from my perspective, I had a group of women, I've told this story, I think on here before I've told it a few times. So I apologize if it's a repeat, if I told it on here, but excuse me, I had a group of women who we would text each other when we wouldn't hear from our loved ones for a couple days, you know, Hey, have you heard from this one? Hey, can you just find out the group of women? I should say their loved ones were inside all at McKean. And then they would kind of ask and find out. And one of my girlfriends at the time I texted her and she got the information and she came back to me and she got wrapped up in the inmate.com, meaning there is no website. There might be a website. Somebody owns called inmate.com. But what that means to us is it's caught in the rumor bill. 
So she got wrapped up in the rumors and she called me and she's like, oh my God, Adam got the shit beat out of him. The lifer got the shit beat out of him, right? And I told that story on a video and I love that you brought up this story now because just a couple days ago, somebody commented and it was a man and he's like, how disrespectful. If my wife ever said that I got the shit beat out of me publicly, like how dare you? And I'm like, you idiot. I did not say that. What I said was, that's what this girl told me and said back to me. And while she was all like wrapped up in the glamour of like this prison fight and the lifer's gonna get this guy, I'm like, dude, that lifer's my husband. Is he okay? Like, can you find out? Can he stand up? Does he have internal bleeding? Like, how bad was this? Do I need to go there? And that's why I remember that it was March because we weren't visiting at that point. Mm -hmm. We couldn't because I couldn't drive there. You were all the way up in the mountains. It snowed every single day. It wasn't safe for me to go. And your friend Kev called me and he was like, he's okay. He's going to be fine. And I was like, do I need to come up there? And he was like, I could tell in his response, he was protecting you. He's like, no, 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 nope. That's the last thing you need to do. He's fine. And then I thought about it afterwards. Like, of course I should not have come up there at that point. And I didn't, but yeah, like why, I would never just be like, yeah, my husband got the shit beat out of him. Isn't that a funny story to tell on YouTube? No, but yeah, know your why. That's what I think to me. That's what I took away from that mm. story. And I am so grateful to have had so many good people because you really find out in those situations, you know, especially in that environment, like who are the people you can really count on? And obviously Kev has always been one of those people. He called me every single day while you were in the hole. Mm. And those yeah. are, you guys have to remember, like, if you're not used to this life, those are minutes that he pays for that yeah. he needs to use to speak to everybody in his life. So his family his legal advocates, all of those people. And you only get 300 minutes a month. Yeah. And he called precious, me every day. Precious minutes. And that's why, you know, man, weighs heavy that, you know, Kev is still in there after 37, 30. I don't even know how many years at this point. Um, but, you know, believe it or not, there's a lot of good people in prison. Like, so many of us that have made mistakes uh and that's the place where you know you really really uh are challenged to prove yourself um you know and for me that experience like that was a defining moment and whenever i hear that quote that we started out with you know you have to become an absolute monster and then learn how to control it I had the first part down, you know, early part of my life. Being a monster. Being a monster. And there's so many things. I've said it numerous times that I deeply regret. Made a few key decisions along the way, but ultimately it was right there. It was in that moment that I knew that I finally had control of it and that I was able to determine, you know, how it was going to affect the rest of my life. Um, and it was that conscious decision, best decision I ever made. Hardest, hardest, but... Um, it was well worth it. Well worth it. It's the reason that we're here. So, and that's one of those things where, you know, in that moment, I felt everything hanging in the balance that was weighing on us. I've felt it since then. I've felt it since I got released it's still, you know, we, we got out the door, we got in the car, we took off, but it still didn't feel real um, because of the way it went down. And we've lived these last few years still feeling like there was something hanging over us. 
and now it's gone. Yay. And now it's gone, and now we are officially free. And I think that really brings us full circle. Um, so excited about everything that's in front of us. So excited about sharing more of our stories. So many more things that because that was hanging over us, we didn't really want to talk about. So there's a lot more that we can get into, you know, from this point forward. We can speak a lot more candidly uh, about different situations and... Yeah, I'm just excited to for us to see what's next. You got anything else before we take it out of here? No, I think you covered all your bases. I mean, I think aside from knowing your why, I think the other takeaway is like you are so good at setting the example. But if if you could do it, you could teach other people to do it and to actually take steps out of your shoes and in the moment be able to weigh, you know, the pros and the cons and step out of your ego and make the right decision for you. That's a tough, tough thing to do, but it is doable. It's possible. Absolutely. So um, it's been another incredible episode of grit, ability, power of perseverance, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. I'm your podcast host, Adam Clausen. And I'm Ro Clausen. And we'll see you back here on the next episode.